Another day where we're going to have to go an entire winter without baseball. Sorry, folks. Baseball slipped into a very, very happy accident this offseason. I don't know if you guys realize that. It is Brian McKinney on New York Groove, another episode, another edition. I don't know who this song is by, but it's good. And it really uh, attributes my mood as uh, baseball has gone on in the offseason. Vince, I don't know if you realize this. My first semi-small take of this uh, segment, this show. Baseball slipped into a happy accident. Baseball had that kid that they claimed to love, but don't really love. Baseball, having a deadline for your free agency was so beautiful and so great for the sport. And it was the first time in a while people were really paying attention to the sport. People were really excited for a lot of big deals to come out. The money song has more reference to do with Steve Cohen spending all of his money. But let's go into baseball first, fixing things briefly. Baseball slipped it, found a happy accident. Baseball had its first real fixing period when it comes to the collective bargaining agreement. This is the way to do it in the future. And I'll give you how you fix it too. What you do in the future with baseball and what you do in the future with baseball free agents, this should be the first move that goes into the new CBA. If you sign a guy before, say the season starts December, uh, November 25th is when the new season starts, right? December 1st, should be the first should be a deadline that you have. If you sign your player before December 1st, then that player only counts 80% towards the towards the luxury tax. Baseball owners are so concerned with going over the luxury tax. It's a big deal for all of them, right? If you sign a guy before a certain deadline and you make it this way like the NBA does because it makes te- it gives teams a more of an incentive to sign guys quicker and more of an incentive to get on a hustle to sign guys, which makes the offseason more exciting. It gets teams more willing to give out big contracts, which helps the sport financially because if it only counts, teams don't care about the salary they're paying these guys. Like the Mets, they can afford to pay Max Scherzer $43 million a year. And whatever teams tell you, all other other 29 teams in the league can also afford to pay Max Scherzer that salary. They don't want to pay him that because it'll put him over the luxury tax, but they all can afford to pay him that salary. The reason why they don't is because of the luxury tax. If you give them a back a backdoor, a caveat, where it only counts towards 80%, they'll keep raising the salaries. It'll keep getting better for the sport. And that, that's the first move in the CBA that baseball needs to go for to fix things. Because uh, there's many problems. And, and, and it's sad for Mets fans because they might not get to see Max Scherzer pitch in a Mets uniform until 2023. But... Baseball is in a troubling spot with a lot of things that need to be fixed. And this is the, this is, there are so many problems with rookie contracts, with figuring out uh, they're going to have to come up with a whole new pandemic plan in case there's another pandemic in the future. There's a million things that are wrong with baseball right now that they need to fix with rule changes, replay, everything that's going on. One of the nice things they actually discovered by total accident, because that's the only way Manfred can achieve anything, is this offseason having a, it was a quasi deadline, but having a deadline to sign guys. You saw teams rushing, teams making big moves, signing guys to, you saw the Texas Rangers giving out a half a billion dollars. Who, who saw that coming? I will say this. That is the move that for baseball free agency, where you can start to get yourselves back in the limelight. Why is the NBA so big right now? Because it's more of a celebrity drama driven league. If you can make baseball that and make you already missed your window with Harper and Machado. Because think about it. If you had that offseason, that Harper and Machado offseason, go like this one, where you had teams bidding for these guys in a five-day period, that was that would have been that would have been such entertaining. People would have, you as a non-sort of baseball guy, would have really found that entertaining and would have been in the mix because the Phillies were involved in that. That would have you would have been all obsessed with that. And instead, 
That year, it was it dragged on till March. You had to wait for Harper to sign till the end of March, to, till, till basically a season was starting, and it killed the whole vibe of it. But if you had the Phillies chasing the Giants and other teams to get Harper in a five-day stretch, it would have brought all of Philadelphia into that. Philadelphia Sports Radio would have been all over it. And better yet, it would have brought people more focused on baseball. That's how you start. Listen, you're not going to get people back into baseball by shortening games by 15 minutes. That's not going to happen. You're not going to get people back into baseball by putting a pitch clock on there, by, by changing little stupid rules. That is a way you can absolutely change baseball. Make the offseason exciting. That's why the NBA has become so popular over the last few years. The offseason is so exciting. They can, the NBA controls all of the first two weeks of July because of their, of their offseason when there's no basketball games being played. That's the key for baseball right now. Turn your players like Bryce Harper, your superstars, into celebrities and make teams bid for these guys. And the only way you're going to get teams to give these guys $300 million deals is by giving them a luxury tax deadline where their salaries are not going to count the same amount of the luxury tax as they would have in years past. Do you like this idea, Vince? Is this working for you? Yeah, I love the idea. I mean, you have to find something to incentivize these people to make deals because talking about the NBA, I mean, the, the beautiful thing is when the deadline starts for free agency, people get signed. For the NFL, it's the same thing. After two days, all the major players are gone. Exactly. So it's an event. You but that's exciting. For that. That, yeah. the, the, the enjoyment of refreshing Twitter constantly when the NBA season comes to see what Woj is, is reporting of yeah. this player, this player, this player, this player. And the same thing with the NFL. If we got that in baseball, if Jeff, if Jeff Passan became that account that you're constantly going to, refreshing, refreshing, refreshing to see who the next team got, that's so important for the sport. That is so huge for the sport because it gets people more involved. If you can control a week of time in your offseason and your sport becomes the most popular sport on the market – Gold. That's what you're looking for as a league. And baseball had that this week. This is the first time in, I'd say, a decade that baseball actually controlled the controlled an offseason period of time. Am I wrong? You had basketball going on. You have college basketball going on. You have the NHL back. And we're going to be joined, actually, by Emily Kaplan later in the show, at ESPN NHL reporter, which is awesome. You have all these sports back, and you're in the midst of football season. And yet you had a ton of people all over Twitter worried about baseball. That is huge for this sport. And it was totally done by accident. But sometimes the best things in life happen by accident. No, they do. And for a lot of these leagues, some of the adjustments they've made since the pandemic, the leagues have just gotten a lot better because they they just didn't know the kind of stuff that they could do. The NBA comes up with the play-in to try to make up for the lost games they had in the regular season. Play-in's great. Play-in's a really great thing. Regular season, playoffs, all that stuff. I I love where that's all at. Yeah, there's a lot of things to fix in this sport. I mean, one of the things that here's an an idea that I have, too, with uh, players and entry-level contracts because we've seen this become an issue. When players have entry-level contracts in baseball, it's a seven-year deal. That's way too long to get your... Part of what's exciting about young players is getting them paid. It was a big deal when Fernando Tatis got his big major deal. You want to see these guys get paid. The NHL is the perfect model. The perfect model of of entry-level contracts. When you get drafted, you're on a three-year deal, essentially, of minimum salary, which is what guys should get paid at the end. I'm not not of the, the, the NFL method of a quarterback, the old NFL method, of a quarterback coming in and getting a $50 million deal before he touches the field is totally wrong. I'm for that. Three years, and then as soon as your fourth year hits, you become an RFA, a restricted free agent. Basically... You, you're owned by your team still, but other teams can offer you deals. But before you sign your deal with, the other, with your other team, your team that drafted you has the ability to match, go over that deal, or if they don't want to sign you, they get a draft pick back. That, that is the perfect method in three years. So you yep. get guys paid, you get guys not complaining anymore, and then the method of players having to wait five or six years to get up to the pros doesn't affect them as much because they know within three years' time they'll get paid. This is the, you can't have guys going seven years anymore without getting paid. It's just it's too ridiculous. 
And the teams have way too much control. I can't have a kid come and get called up at 22 years old and not getting paid till he's 29. Because you're wasting all your prime. Yeah, and and here's the other thing, too, with with, uh, how it plays out with all the different contracts. The problem is that you wait so long to get paid that you want the super mega deal in baseball. So, hey, I need 10 years and $270 million. But to negotiate that takes time. For the NBA, it's just like, okay, it's a max deal. Here you go. For the NFL, it's like, all right, well, here was the one quarterback. You're the next guy in line. So you get slightly more than him, and it's that easy. And because the system works the way it does in the NHL and incentivizes teams now to pay guys before they even hit their RFA, before they become a restricted free agent, it incentivizes NHL teams Look what the look what the Devils just did with Jack Hughes. They drafted him first overall two years ago, right? And then two days ago, as twenty years old, two days ago they gave him an eight year, sixty four million dollar extension because they knew we're not going to let this kid at restricted free agency. We want to make him feel like he's a devil for the rest of his life. We want to make him feel like he's our player. He's our guy. We believe in him. Here's a long term deal that the kid's looking for. Then you get that player at a sort of a discount too because if he improves a lot and becomes a superstar as a first overall pick should. Then you're going to have to pay him $15 million a year like a top NHL player gets paid. So the Devils save money by paying him earlier, and Jack Hughes feels more wanted and gets his bag earlier. It's a perfect method. It's one of the things the NHL actually does right. That's they, They've kind of like solved that baseball. Again, all the NHL is growing a lot, being on, being on ESPN, being on TNT. Grow your sport like other sports are grown. Like j- j- follow, follow the leader. Monkey see, monkey do. They, you watch the NFL do it all the time, right? NFL teams, it's how they run their seasons. They follow what other teams are doing. Do that in baseball. There's a, there's a way to fix your sport. It's not by shortening games by six minutes and 45 seconds. That's not going to fix it. It's not. But the, the problem with baseball is their history is their best selling point. Generally, that's how they've worked. Yeah. It. And it's their biggest harm. I mean, like all this stuff, all the contract stuff and the way they've manipulated this, they've been doing it for 100 years. So they don't want to change that. That's where the money's been coming yeah. from. They're not paying anybody. So, hey, that's that's great for you as an owner. But when you're not an event, when you're not getting stories written about you and people don't have general interest when the big news breaks, you've got a problem. I am very aggravated. We're going to get to the Mets today. That's that's more the focus. I am very uh, uh, frustrated as a fan of the Yankees. As an analyst, I feel totally different ways and I'm conflicted. As a fan, I want my team to go out there and spending a ton of money and getting all these players and improving the team. This team clearly needs to be improved and they've done nothing so far to improve it. That bothers me. As an analyst, I feel completely different. When I look at all of the best teams in baseball, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs even, up until yesterday, the Cubs hadn't signed anyone, the Giants, all of these big time best teams in baseball, the Cardinals, I'm just adding teams as they go along. None of them have made moves. The perennial winners in the sport have done nothing this entire offseason so far. I don't know if you realize that. None of these teams have signed big-time players. None of these teams have, have, have made big trades. If you want to count Andrew Heaney for the Dodgers, fine. But no one, Stroman's the first big move that was made with the Cubs yesterday. The perennial winners in the sport have done nothing so far, which makes me think that those are the teams that kind of have it figured out, and it gives me a little more confidence. The Yankees know exactly what they're doing right now. They're just treading water, and they're just waiting. That gives me a little more confidence in that. And that brings me on to the Mets because that's the big splash in New York, right? You get Max Scherzer, you get all these other players, you get uh, Marte, and yeah, it's exciting. It's great, right? But sometimes in life, the big splash, it, it feels great, but it's not always great. Sometimes your emotions take over and Mets fans have let that happen in the last week and I want you to be happy and that's good. But don't let your emotions always take over immediately. Steve Cohen right now, He's acting like the owner we all act like when we start a new franchise and MLB the show. Turn off the salary cap and just spend all your money, right? That's what he's acting like in real life. And I get it. He's the richest owner in sports. He has all this money. He doesn't care about it. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, money is still money. To a guy that's worth all these billions of dollars, 
The one thing he doesn't like doing in life is losing money on anything. It's something weird that you see with a lot of guys that are super rich out in the world. There are weird stories you hear out there, like Bill, Ga- uh, Bill examples of Bill Gates, right? Who's made all this money in his lifetime. And you hear Bill Gates be mad that he, he lost $7 or be mad that he didn't get to, you know, a store in time to get a discount on something. And it's like, how could he be mad? He's worth all that money. The reason why these guys get to being as valuable as they are and, and have as much money as they are is because of how frugal they've been their entire lives. It's because they've caught the deal on every single opportunity they have. That's how Steve Cohen's gotten to where he's gotten. Having a model like this where all you do is spend money consistently and constantly, he doesn't like to lose money. Once he starts realizing how the luxury tax works and he's and he starts getting to a $300 million payroll and the MLB is charging him a tax of $150 million because his payroll is so large, he's going to stop spending like this. He's going to do what the Steinbrenners do. And he's going to realize that when you invest literally uh, 20% of a payroll into your pitching staff, because let's not forget this, Jacob deGrom is uh, going to is, has an opt-out after next season. Okay, And if you don't think he's going to opt out to become the highest paid pitcher in baseball, you're out of your mind. So now you're going to have two pitchers next year because you're going to have to pay DeGrom. You're going to have two pitchers next year that are making over $45 million a year. That's $90 million. That's almost 50% of your luxury tax hit. That's a major problem. This is going to inhibit the Mets from making moves in the future. Playing these guys, these, uh, it's great. A lot of star power, a big one-two at the top of your rotation. This is great. But how much winning did the Phillies do when they had Cliff Lee and Roy Howard at the top of the rotation? Doesn't happen a lot. You don't have these two guys. The only time this was able to occur when the winning was sustainable like this was when the Astros had Verlander and Cole. Why? The only guy that was making all that money was Verlander. Cole was still on his rookie deal. Cole was still on arbitration. He had to wait till they got to the Yankees to get that major money. This is not a sustainable model of winning. It's not for the Mets. Once Steve Cohen realizes how it's all exciting and fun now, you're going to have all this money, right? But watch, this is going to prohibit the Mets in the future from signing other big-time deals, from getting big-time free agents, from making yourself a more complete roster. What do we see every year in baseball, right? The team that wins at the end, it's always a team that has the awesome cohesive bullpen, the one or two decent starting pitchers, and a well-rounded team, a good bench. You need that in all sports to win. The Mets are not going to have that because of this. In future free agencies, they're not going to be able to sign guys. They're not going to have the money because Steve Cohen, at a certain point, these guys don't like losing money. At a certain point, when he starts looking at that luxury tax hit and he starts seeing it being so damn high, it'll be exciting at the start. But right now, spending all that money, having that massive luxury tax hit is not going to help your team. It's just not. This is going to hurt your team massively, and they're not going to be able to make moves. This is huge for the Mets. It's exciting now. It's fun now. I'm not trying to put you guys down. I'm not trying. To, I'm just trying to give you guys a little bit of, of realism, a little bit of reality. There's been a lot of cases in the in the past of baseball. That whole argument all week annoyed me a lot because you saw Mets fans saying we've never seen a one and two at the top of a rotation like this before. False. We've seen it a lot. We've seen teams a lot of times acquire two aces. We saw Halliday and Cliff Lee with the Phillies. That was super exciting. We saw Cole and Verlander two years ago. This has happened before. And those teams, they didn't win with Cole and Verlander at the top of the rotation. They didn't, the Astros. They won in 2017. They didn't win with those two guys at the top of the rotation. They got to the World Series, but they did not win a World Series. The Phillies didn't win with Cliff Lee and Roy Howard at the top of the rotation. They won before Cliff Lee got there. There's, there's a lot of examples where this has happened in baseball history and teams haven't won. Who won the offseason last year in, in baseball? It was the Padres. Remember? Tatis got the major deal. The year before that, Machado got the major deal. You had Hosmer the year before that. You had you Darvish you brought in. You had a bunch of these moves and the Padres missed the playoffs this year. The, the Mets still have holes. 
There's still holes all over this field right now. And that's, you know, if you're Big price shortstop comes in again and hits 200 like Lindor did last year. That's a problem. The Mets don't really have a starting third baseman right now. The Mets still have problems in their outfield. They still don't really have a bullpen. And the back of their pitching rotation isn't as solidified as you'd like it to be for a playoff run. So it's great that you got Scherzer. It's great that you made that big splash. It's great that you have an owner willing to make that move. But it's how your GM is able to build a well-sustained roster. And Billy Epler has never proved that he's able to do that for me. So I'm concerned. It, and if you think this move is Billy Epler coming in and getting a pitcher, you're absolutely wrong. This is Steve Cohen wanting to flex his muscles. And that's fine. He's got the attention of all of New York baseball. And he's won the offseason so far. But the Yankees not making moves yet. The Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Cubs, the White Sox, the Cardinals, the Giants, all these teams that sustainably win over 90 games, not making moves would concern me more. Because clearly this is, this is, those teams know what they're doing a little bit. Vince, am I right or wrong? Yeah, I mean, spending money is fun, but then if you screw up how you spend it, you get massive problems. Like, obviously, me being a Philly guy, you know what the biggest problem is with the Eagles? They have $50 million in dead money on the salary cap this year. Exactly. It's killing them. It's absolutely, what could you do with $50 million? It's a lot of money. But hey, in previous years, you needed a wide receiver. You need to extend this guy. You need to extend that guy. So it felt good then. They didn't win any games then either. They got worse each year. It's the famous and, quote, and we, we can win without you, we can, we, we can win with you, we can win without you. And it's it's... This is exciting for Mets fans. It sure is, right? But having the Brewers last year had two Cy Young candidates at the top of their at the top of their rotation in Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff. What did that result in? This is this is the, and, the, and the Braves didn't have that last year. Again, the Mets weren't a good offensive team last year. They picked it up at times, but they weren't an overall great offensive team. And if you're not going to be that for Scherzer and Degrom, you can still lose games with these guys. So it's great having them in high price salaries. But again, next year you're going to be paying these two guys upwards of close to a hundred million dollars for the two of them combined. That's a problem. That's a problem for your future. It just is. I, this is not a sustainable model of winning. It's yeah. not. No, it, you, you have to have some... I mean, it's depth, it's stability, it's developing the farm system. Like, the number of things that make a MLB franchise great, there's so much that goes into that. And spending money at the top feels good, but Mike Trout hasn't won anything. And, and he got a $400 million deal, which is way more than Schultz has gotten. Good for him. Let's get into a story, like the, the fun segment that I like to do every week. Vince, have you heard uh, the Oakland Athletics? Uh, if there's a city that I had to give you that would be the most uh, tantalizing, most exciting for the Oakland Athletics to move, they're going to be out of Oakland. If there's a city for them to move to, where would you like to see them go to most? Yeah, it's Vegas. It's Vegas. I mean, who doesn't want to yeah. see a team playing Vegas? It clearly works. The Raiders and the Golden Knights have proven that. You'll see a team, I've been saying this for years, within five years, you'll see an NBA and an, and an MLB team there. You just will. That, that, it makes too much sense. Have you heard their new stadium proposal? In Vegas. I have not. It's incredible. The Tropicana Resort in Vegas on the Strip is is have, uh, being in trouble, right? They're owned by Caesars, but they're not the most popular resort. They're not up and remodeled. And while Caesars owns like 13 other resorts in Vegas, they're not the top contender because there's so many other, you know, there's so many other teams that, that uh, hotels out there that are so much more profitable for them. There's a plan that was released that they want to knock the Tropicana down. They want to build a casino resort stadium type combination on the Vegas Strip with a baseball stadium that has a casino resort attached to it as the Tropicana where they're going to move the athletics into on a on a, on a scale of, of one to ten where does this get your jitters flying and that's that's as good as uh, baseball's as, ever done anything I, I mean the 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 ideas behind the the area of improvement you could have the 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 unmitigated success that this would cause is insane. Uh, you are lying. If I'm lying to myself, if I don't think that I'm going to go out there for a Yankee game in their first year, I'll be out there immediately. This is the a perfect business model, no? 
especially in Vegas. It'd be the first one to combine this kind of stuff. Well, yeah, and this is what everybody wants to get to eventually. What you've seen now is all these teams are building stadiums and then building up the stuff around it, restaurants and hotels and all that. Uh, the Chicago Bears are going to do the same thing. They're buying an old horse track, and they're going to turn that all into like a big complex. But mm-hmm. when you can get a Vegas casino and have them playing right there... On the strip? Like, that's ridiculous. It's so amazing. And if you can include, like, the, the casino with the game, like... People love leaving baseball games early, right? That, you, that's the big problem with baseball is the, is the games, it's long, it's, it's, it's tiring, right? If you give people an option in the seventh inning of a 13-1 game to leave the stands, you don't want them leaving, right? But if they leave the stadium and they walk 10 minutes to their resort and go play blackjack, well, guess what? The A's are still getting the money. So they don't really care if they're always going to be profiting no matter what. Even when the team is a 60-game winner, it's not going to matter ever because you're just going to keep profiting always. People are eating in your restaurants. They're staying at your resort. They're they're gambling your cards. This is the perfect model. I mean, this, they could be selling vacation packages with flights involved, with restaurant packages, with, with, with game pack. You get a, dealers, a deal with, with the Golden Knights and they include a hockey game and a baseball. There are so many options for money right here. This is beyond exciting. I, I, I literally can't wait. The juices are just flowing. Yeah, it's, it's the perfect merger of sports and entertainment from an actual business model with those leagues. You know what I mean? Because, like, obviously there's all these websites about it, but to have, like, an actual business that can pair with, like, Vegas Strip Entertainment is just so next level. Have you considered going out there for a, uh, a game, an Eagles game? I would yeah. totally go. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the, the number of people that went this year when the Eagles went out there, the, amazing. I couldn't do it just because we got a billion things going on here. But yeah, a couple of years from now when they inevitably go back out there again, 100%. Can you please do me a favor and call the boss, John Barchard, and it's time for our picks. Oh, Johnny B. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If I had the ability to change the soundtrack to porn, this is what it would be. <laughs> we can make that happen. Oh, this is just what this is. This is perfect. First edition of picks being joined by John Barchard, the boss around here, along with Vince. I don't want to. Yeah, what are you? Why are you degrading equal partners? I don't don't, don't want to put. uh, I don't want to put Vince down, but I just feel like uh, you like doing it. But yeah, yeah. let's get into our picks. I think that's more appropriate for right now. Cowboys Saints is tonight, and I don't generally pick the Thursday night game, but I'm going to go after that game. I'm intrigued by this matchup. This is a perfect bounce-back spot for the Cowboys. You were embarrassed on prime time in Thanksgiving last week. And I think from the stance that I've had a while is the Cowboys are very clearly a Super Bowl contender for the first time in a while. Why is that? They have a superstar at every single position on the field, up and down their entire their entire team, specifically on the defense, which is a major factor. Two reasons why I love the Cowboys and under a touchdown right here at minus six. I love them as a bounce-back spot right here to ch- show the world on primetime again. Wait, we still are legit. Start, start focusing on us again. But also, the Saints stink. And have, have we not realized that? Since Trevor Simeon's been starting for them, they're not a good football team. They're just not. Their defense isn't playing as good as it should be playing. And their offense stinks. And now you're going to put Taysom Hill in to start tonight, supposedly? Taysom Hill also stinks. Okay, I have no confidence in the Saints tonight. And under a touchdown right here, love the spot for the Cowboys to bounce back. Vince, how do you feel? Well, actually, I'm going to go right at you, Brian. I'm going with the Saints plus six and a half. Where's, where's the, uh, where is the handicap here? I'd love to know. So, six and a half still. Yeah, six, six and a half is, is Interesting. What the I'm VQ seeing six on ESPN, book. so the okay. VQ Sportsbook has six I, and a half. Either way. <laughs> I like how you're getting the extra hat. You're getting the hook there. Yeah, I'm giving Somehow your book has the hook available. Yeah, damn right. Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing. It, it's exactly 
all the reasons that you stated, actually, uh, the Saints are a bad team. I know that. Mm-hmm. I know Taysom Hill as is not a great quarterback. He's not going to be as much as they give him all these goofy contracts. But you know what? It's a Thursday night game. It's the first game he's starting a quarterback in a long time. On a short week for yes, him. It's going to be super weird. And so for a super weird game like this, six and a half points is a lot when the Saints are at home. So there's a lot of things here that I go, yeah, I mean, are the Cowboys better? Yeah, but is this a weird game? Yes. I think their home field means a lot more when they're good. I think for any team, home field advantage means a lot more when you're good. I don't think Lambeau would be as tough to play in if the Packers weren't good the last 20 years. And I believe that with the Superdome. When the Saints aren't good, you're going to have a lot of Cowboy fans in that building. I, I don't see how the Cowboys don't cover this number. Remember, when the Cowboys look to make a statement and the Cowboys go out there to win a game, they like to embarrass people, especially on, on the primetime stage. I just don't see how six isn't that many points to cover when... Look at the quarterback matchups. You're, you're taking... Yep. Uh, John, you're taking Taysom Hill or are you taking Dak Prescott? Uh, not only am I taking Taysom Hill, I'm taking the Saints on a short week. You can shove the six and a half up your hoo-ha. I'm taking the money line tonight at, at plus 225 really? because this Saints team can't lose these many games in a row. And Dallas is still... At the peak of the end to start of December, they're missing out on, I mean, I don't know if Mike McCarthy not being there is a, is a plus or minus, but I, a, a different quarterback, a different setup. I know they're missing eight of their 10 starters. I'm just rolling with the chaos because the NFL is chaos and that's what you're going to see. It's an, inter- it's an interesting perspective. I, I'll, I'll definitely give you that. Vikings-Lions. Many, many people will watch this game and think, well, who cares? It's, it's the Vikings and the Lions. It's Kirk Cousins versus a Detroit team. Why am I intrigued by this? While the Lions don't win games, they cover games. And as I've always said, I'd love to get this quote tattooed on me. (laughs) Good teams win, great teams cover. And the Lions cover almost every single week. They stay in games. And let me bring this up to you too. Kirk Cousins is a different quarterback on the road. He just is. He has been his entire career. There's a lot of stuff to be said about Kirk Cousins out there. I will say this. With that Vikings contract, they're not paying him anywhere near what the elite, elite, elite quarterbacks make in the league. And every year that he's been there, he'll give you, he won't come through in a late, a late drive. He'll make stupid bonehead plays, but he's always got them with a winning record. And a guy like Kirk Cousins is a guy that the Jets are taking a heartbeat. The Jets are hoping that Zach Wilson becomes Kirk Cousins, but his whole career away from Minnesota, he's a different guy. He just is. When something about wearing those whites as opposed to wearing those purples, he's a different quarterback. The Lions just always cover and they're getting a touchdown this week. I gotta go. I gotta ride the Lions again. They were good to me on Thanksgiving Day, and they're gonna be good to me again. I like the Lions plus seven in this spot, Vince. Uh, I would love to see that just because the Lions. I mean, God, I'm rooting for the Vikings to lose every game now. It's all a wild card thing for me. But uh, it, it has to do with the Eagles, actually. And I'm gonna go to the Eagles. Eagles are giving seven to the Jets. The Jets are gonna just get smothered into the dust. The, my God, the Jets are awful. The more I've looked into them, the more shocking how bad it is. They. It's are. another bounce back spot for the Eagles as well. And 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 running the ball, the Jets can't stop the run to save their lives. I, I love. The Eagles in this spot too, especially at seven. Is it gone seven and a half? Do you have it at seven and a half in the Vince Quinn Sportsbook? No, Vince Quinn Sportsbook has them at minus seven. At six and a half, actually, I think Vince Quinn Sportsbook has them at. Vince Quinn Sportsbook has the Eagles plus five fifty on the money line. I don't know how they got that number, but but it's 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 available for you. <laughs> you have to you know grease the right palms and all that, but we figured it out. So yeah, but like the the Jets give up more points than anybody. They give the best starting field position out of anybody yeah. in the NFL. The Eagles are just going to roll them over this week. I agree, and especially again. The NFL, you can find a lot of value in teams that get embarrassed the week prior to come out and make a point, and the Eagles are going to come out and make a point this week. John, how do you feel? Um, I don't think it's going to be a statement. I think it's going to be another trolley into there. I would actually take the Jets to cover, Ooh. and but I'm with you with uh, on the Lions. I like I like that vibe as well. I'll Your hard-earned money going on the, on the Jets is just... Uh. Just saying, until you can... 
You, great teams cover. The Eagles don't do that. So I'm 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 riding the Jets. The most intriguing game of the weekend, Bills Patriots on Monday night. This game's just got a bunch of weird of involved in it. But Bills are minus two and a half. The game is in Buffalo. The Patriots got to lose at some point, right? They're playing really well, but are they this good? And we've the the the, the public narrative out there for the last couple of weeks has been the Patriots are going to come back and win this division. The Patriots are going to come back. They're going to win this division. It's going to be a problem for the Bills. We all see it coming. The Bills find a way to surprise you every now and again, though. The Bills, we all think of them as a good team, and they they come up and they play terrible, and as soon as you stop to believe in them, they go out and score 40 points on someone. Minus two and a half as the home team on prime time in a really raucous environment that Mac Jones hasn't had to, de- hasn't had to deal with much in his career yet. I like the Bills in this spot to give me a bounce-back performance to, to make me believe again. This is what football teams do. They make you believe again. I know the Patriots are, are catching steam, but are they, are they really going to win all their games on the way out? This is a really tough game in a raucous environment for Mac Jones. It's really the first time I can remember him playing in a raucous environment like this. Yeah, because Alabama isn't a raucous environment at all. Well, at, Give me a break. At home, for his home games, of course, but it's not raucous for him at home. When he's playing a home game for Alabama, he's got 100,000 people supporting him. 100,000 people behind him. It's a lot yeah, easier. There's, there's no one in the SEC that's going and, and tough. In a, they never went down to yeah, LSU. Like Georgia, they never went example, down to Georgia. Florida. Not tough environments for him at all. You know why? Because every time Alabama goes down to play a team like that, they're beating the brakes off that team, and they're up by 40 at halftime. So the old fans leave and get drunk in the parking lot, and it's over. Mac Jones hasn't had to play in environments like this, and this is the time. I'm definitely taking the Patriots now. And in fact, give me the plus 125 on the money line is that. I, I uh, Josh Allen has had the most help from ever, any quarterback in the league, according to PFF, and I, I think that's truly what's holding him up here. I believe in the Patriots' run. I actually wouldn't surprise to see him in the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, Josh Allen's Josh Allen's falling back to earth a little bit. It's Bill Belichick, and you look at the way that the Patriots are rolling right now. They're playing great football, and yeah, it, it's part of it's just a gut thing. I trust the Patriots more than I trust the Bills right now, and I like the money line too. That's exactly where I was. That at. makes me love the the Bills even more in the spot, though. <laughs> like I love fading the public, and that's where most of the public I think is going to lean. This if, if you're going to bet this game, wait, wait till wait till Monday. Because this line's going to drop. And the more and more people that realize the Patriots are playing and like the Patriots are going to keep betting the Patriots, betting the Patriots, you might get this even. It's going to drop and drop and drop. Another game I find really fascinating here, Ravens-Steelers. I don't know why the Ravens aren't getting casino love like they should have been getting all year. I mean, last week the Ravens were only four-point favorites in the game. Who did they, they play last week? Uh, the Browns. And yeah. they, they were only four-point favorites in a game that the Browns were falling apart. The Ravens always seemed to be able to score points. I didn't get that, and the Ravens covered pretty easily. And I made a lot of money on that pick. When it comes to this in sports, I gotta be honest with you guys. When it comes to sports gambling, I like to follow a team that's been good to me. Until they're not good to me, I'm gonna keep making money off of them. And the Ravens under a touchdown again, four and a half against the Steelers, who quite frankly, I don't think are very good. Now their defense is gonna improve because they're getting guys back, but Big Ben has a noodle arm. And Big Ben is not able to make plays. And if you think that the, this Steelers team is gonna be able to score points with the Ravens, you're just wrong. The most points I see the Steelers scoring in this spot against the good Ravens defense is like 17 points. And I can see the Ravens easily putting up a 30 spot in this scenario. So I'm all over the Ravens minus four and a half. You've been good to me all year, and I'm not gonna stop. I'm not gonna start fading them until they haven't been good to me. And that's the way I, that's where I lie. I'm gonna roll with you on this one. I was gonna actually stay away from this altogether because I'm comfortable taking the over on 44 points. But uh, I would, if they're good to you, then hopefully they're good to me. I'll roll with the Ravens, Vince. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I'm not touching that game. I think that game's incredibly fun, but I, I, and I was interested in it, but I'm not doing it. Uh, I actually, I took a risk. Uh, my, my gut is in control this week. It's, it's solely the belly. That's a good that's, place to That's be. where all the picks are coming from. You know what I got this week? Jacksonville plus 12 and a half against the Rams. 
I, I hate betting for Jacksonville. Again, you work really hard for your money. You're really going to bet on Jacksonville. Damn, exactly. Damn right. Yes. Right now, I'm going to do it. You might as well light a $10 bill on fire uh, right it's now. That's pretty much what I'm about to do. But you know what? It's fun, and you got to live a little bit. With the Rams struggling the way they've been now for multiple weeks, if they had a bad game and, hey, they're going to rebound or whatever, they've been they've been having a bit of a crisis the last couple of weeks. They made all these moves. Here's Odell Beckham. Here's the Von Miller trade. Let's go win a Super Bowl. And they've gotten worse ever since. Mm-hmm. So until they have that get-right game, if I'm getting 12 and a half points right now going into it, I'm going to ride that wave. Yeah. We have one more pick that counts, and we have an opinionated pick that I need from you guys. Then the pick that counts, I'm going Washington versus the Raiders. This game is a home game in Las Vegas. Washington's falling apart. They're coming off of a short week, and the Raiders only giving two and a half here. This is a line that would make you think Vegas knows something, and that's why it's so low. I'm not feeling that way. The Raiders, there's a lot of value in NFL season betting teams that need wins. This is a, this is a time when you can feel comfortable betting on good teams because when you need to win a game... It's a lot of value in an NFL team right now. The Raiders only giving two and a half points at home against Washington when the Raiders are a six and five team that needs this win like blood. Any team that, that needs a win that badly, I'm going with them and under a field goal. And I'm, I'm loving the Raiders in this spot, a home game. Their last home game until I see them live in Las Vegas against the Broncos. They need this game like blood. And I'm going to ride with a team that needs a game. The Raiders do have talent and they haven't completely fallen apart since Gruden's been gone. I'm on the Raiders here minus two and a half. I like that pick a lot. Uh, didn't make my list, but I do like the pick. You know where I went? Uh, Colts minus nine at Houston. Because you got to think like where Houston's at. I mean, for them, the Jets was that game for them. Hey, we got to beat the Jets. And they couldn't do it. And they could do it. So, like, it's over for them. I think it's over. This is when you get into, like, really selfish, bad football. Let me do some stuff on tape and whatever. Like, they're going to have terrible, ugly miscommunications and for the Colts playing as solid as they've been, they're just stable, reliable, great right now. The running game's ridiculous. Nine points at Houston. Don't care. Totally good with it. I don't generally do this ever, but um, Emily Kaplan has just reported after she joined us on the show. How about that? That there are reports that the Arizona Coyotes are now up for sale, and there's a chance they'll be relocating to Houston. Whoa. So we could be seeing hockey in Houston very soon. The Coyotes released a report. They responded to her saying this is false, totally false. We are not selling. We're not moving. The Coyotes are 100% committed to playing in Arizona. Catch them in Houston in two weeks. You could have yeah, interviewed her at 2.01 p.m. East Coast time. Couldn't have done it. Nope. <laughs> nope. She's now reporting. Well, th- uh, what? Uh, that's she was awesome. a great interview, though. Stick around for after oh this, though, gosh, because she was, was a fantastic interview. Amazing, amazing interview. Yeah. Uh, John, your last pick. Um, I am going to roll to Seattle because it's obviously uh, Vince Quinn's favorite place. Uh, I... Don't know what's compelling me to do this, but the three and a half usually tells you to stay away from the home team immediately. Yeah. But uh, I'm not going to do that. I want to take Seattle so badly because San Francisco is not a consistent team. Uh, It's a division game, so I like that on top of that. And I'm going to take your advice and fade the public on this one, too, because I think most of the money, in fact, like 70% of the money is on the 49ers as we speak right now. Kind of just a, a nice little sweet spot. I'm rolling with the uh, Seattle's my life. I have buddies in Vegas that give me a lot of gambling advice. It's part of the reason why I'm able to make money when it comes to gambling. <laughs> uh, the This Buccaneers-Falcons game. Uh. It's a disgusting game, but they are all over the Falcons at plus 11. That's like the, the sharp pick in Vegas right now that a lot of people are not going with. How do you guys feel about that? Would you? The Falcons are a weird team because they've beaten the crap out of really bad teams this year. They've made their money on that, but the Buccaneers have not been incredibly impressive. But hearing them give that pick kind of freaked me out a little bit. Like, I don't I don't like betting against Tom Brady, and I don't like betting on the Falcons when it comes to 
anything? Did you? Are you guys on them here, or are you a little more? How do you? How do you lean? A ten and a half at home. I would lean Falcons. Yeah. Yeah, me Absolutely. too. The Bucks have played down to a lot of teams this year. So for it being a division game where they've played down Atlanta's at home, that's enough for me. All right, that'll do it for our picks. Joined here on Last Out Media by Emily Kaplan from ESPN NHL. You know, I am, Emily, I'm not a guest person on my show. I don't generally like guests. I feel like, uh, personally, my opinion is they're generally valueless. But I I wanted to have you on, mainly because you are literally my favorite NHL reporter. And I have become this massive NHL fan. The NHL is my favorite sport. I love following it, and none of my friends follow it. But I'm that guy that loves hockey, and I love, like, your quality of reporting for years, literally. So that's why I was excited to have you on my show. So thank you very much for giving me time. Um, thank you very much. That might be the most flattering thing I have ever heard, and I am so appreciative. So thank you so much for watching me and being a fan of what I'm doing and breaking your rule about having guests. Well, you can really change on the first question. I'm going to come at hard because you can really change my opinion on whether I like you or not. <laughs> are the, are the Rangers actually good? Because I'm afraid to say that as a Ranger fan, but they keep winning and it's terrifying me. I, I think they, they're better than I thought they would be. Um, I think the expectation around the league was that this is a team that is still rebuilding. It was a really harsh ending to last year. Maybe they would be fragile, but I've been impressed by just how cohesive they look. And honestly, the most impressive player on that team, and I don't need to tell you this if you're watching them, um, is Igor Shesterkin. And he just looks like he's about to take this huge star turn. And we've seen this in the league before. We're like, if you have a goaltender that can stand on his head, heck, we've seen this with the Rangers before. Henrik Lundqvist, when he stands on his head, um, he always gives your team a shot. And it seems like the young guys are developing on a good track. So maybe a surprise playoff team. I don't know if they can make a run this year, but they're definitely trending up. They need to uh, they need to do something at at winger definitely on the top line because and I think DeBrusque is probably going to want to be that guy out of Boston and they need to do something about the backup goaltender position because I don't know what's going on with Georgiev but that's a major problem no. would you agree? Yeah, the good news is is that it's going to be a hot goalie market at the trade deadline from everything I hear. Um, so there will be some movement there, and maybe he just needs a fresh start. I don't know what's going on. It, it is sad though because it felt like. He was just this amazing 1A and a guy that the Rangers didn't, you know, foresee ever letting go of. They wanted to keep him around and just it hasn't worked out this year. Okay, so you, you passed that test for, for the Rangers. I'm, I'm happy that they're actually good. Um, good. Now to the other test, though, the Islanders. See, now I, I, I host shows. This is my podcast on the side, but I host shows in WFN and I get a lot of flack from Islander fans because I'm not the Islander guy. I'll talk Islander hockey, but the I don't like Islander fans and they don't like me and I don't like the Islanders. Um, the Islanders losing that on that losing stretch with COVID. I don't know why the complaints were okay for them going on that losing streak. Cause I didn't hear anyone complaining when the Sharks went through it. I didn't hear anyone complaining when Ottawa went through it. So how come the Islanders get all this now that they're in last place? It's the, oh, well COVID. So when their season ends and they're out of the playoff race, are we just going to say, oh, well, this was the COVID year for them. So give them a pass. Is that how that's going to work? Maybe. And you didn't hear anything about San Jose and Ottawa because think about those markets and think about where those teams are at. They're both kind of bottom dwellers and uh, no one expected much out of them. And for the Islanders, this is a team that a lot of people were like, this is their time. They can win a Stanley Cup. Um, I do think organizationally, they know that there's a lot of mitigating factors. It's the COVID situation. It's the long road trip to begin. They just couldn't find any rhythm, um, you know, at the right time. It's scaring me because I 
believe in this team and I thought they were going to go on a long run. And the longer we go with them this low in the standings, the less likely it is that they're going to make the playoffs. So And their division. Um, the division's impossible, too. Like, Correct. Exactly. It's such a competitive division. So I'm thinking with them organizationally, they'll write it off as saying, look, there was a lot that went on. We still believe in our plan. We still believe in these guys. Um, that said, um, I think around the league, other people would say, yeah, maybe there were some flaws or maybe there were some areas where they could have added. Have you uh, have you seen the new stadium yet? I haven't. I have a game there in January, though, and I'm so pumped. You, so that kind of stinks, though, because you're... Uh, is there like a back-to-back that you can go to the game as a fan the next day? Because it's a lot different of experience as a fan when you have to work. It's so true. That said, when I get to work, though, I'm between the benches, which is just, like, pretty freaking cool. Yeah, so how... Yeah, I am, uh, you've been doing that on TV recently. <laughs> uh, how, how is that experience? That's 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 ridiculous. Like... Because you have you done that prior? Was that a thing that you were doing in your career prior? Is this kind of the first year you're doing that? First year, I mean, yeah, we got the right. We're going to broadcast games, and I told my bosses it's something I was interested in. I never thought that they would give me, um, you know, this big of an opportunity. But it is such a blast. I am enjoying every second. You got to be appreciate the game more. What was that? You got to be hearing some uh, some crazy stuff between those benches, right? Like, there's got to be some some crazy stuff going on. It's crazy, and then it's also, like, not, like, I'll give you a quick story. When I had a Blackhawks-Islanders game, um, it was, like, Kirby Doc and Matt Barzell, and they were just saying, you're annoying. No, you're annoying. No, you look in the mirror. No, you look in the mirror. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, this is what they're talking about. Did, have you uh, have you done a Boston game in between the benches yet? I have not yet. I was, the mouthiest team I've had so far was the Vegas Golden Knights. Really? Interesting. Because I want to hear, oh. I want to hear, they're, they're, you're going to have a Marshan story. Like, cause, cause you know, he's the biggest trash talker in the league. You're going to have a Marshan. How do you feel about the Panarin thing last week? I love throwing a glove at somebody. Marshan clear. There was clearly more said to that than what did you have for Thanksgiving or something like that? Right. There was what I've heard is that he was saying some pretty, um, you know, it might sound innocuous. No one in Russia likes you. You're very poor. You're a peasant, whatever he was saying. But for Panarin, that's all super personal because he did grow up so humbly. He worked so hard to get to where he is. And of course, with everything that went on last season with the political um, situation where he felt threatened and his safety was threatened because he spoke out against Putin, um, you know, he crossed the line. Like Martian should not have said those things. So honestly, good on uh, Panarin for only throwing a glove. And it was a humorous moment of watching it. But but it also was kind of a sad moment because those were really mean things that he said. For sure. Um, is Artemi Panarin a top five player in the NHL right now? Overall, like, like overall game. Is he a top five player yeah. in the NHL? Um, not right now at the way he's playing, but when he's at his elite, yes. Interesting. Um, because I've always had that argument with like, like, cause always, everyone's always so quick to put Austin Matthews in that category. And, and I'm, as a, I mean, I'm a Ranger fan, but the team that I enjoy watching the most is the Leafs. I went to Toronto two years ago to watch a Rangers-Leafs game. I love watching everything about, like, the kind of players they have. I mean, their whole top line with Matthews and Marner, they're all around my age, too. So it's it's just so cool watching these guys and stuff. And I've always said this about about Austin Matthews. Like, I believe Mitch Marner overall, like, round game is a better player than Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is obviously a much more of a lethal goal scorer. But mm-hmm. Marner has a complete game. Like, you know, he's on the penalty kill power play wise. He's got he's a tremendous assist guy. Matthews isn't a crazy assist guy and, and not a great defender. He's a great goal scorer. Don't get me wrong. So I believe like when it comes to overall top five player in the game, I do put Panarin there because the, the complete game is there for Panarin. He'll give you 40 goals in a season. He'll give you 100 points, whereas Matthews might give you 100 points, but 50 of those are going to come on goals. You know what I'm saying? 
Do you think he's that much more of an elite defensive player than Matthews is, though? I do. I do. I, I think Matthews can become that because he's such a big guy and his body is so big. But you see, there yeah. are so many little things on the ice that Panarin does. And I'm not just saying that as a Ranger fan. I, I was a big fan of him prior as a, when he was on the Jackets. There are so many little things he does in the little crevices of the ice. I mean, the Rangers for years now have been a team that doesn't have a ton of talent on them. And he's make, he's setting guys up on plays that other guys can't even complete because he's so talented. I just, I don't know why. Maybe it's because I watch so much Ranger hockey, but I see so many things out of him that just, I can't help but think he's a top five player in the game. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And like, you're right that there's so many things that just don't show up on the stat sheet that if you watch him closely, you do appreciate. Um, I think there's another factor with him, which is just like, Wherever he goes, he changes the complexion of a team. And to me, that's just the definition of a superstar. Oh, yeah, like yeah, you're completely right because the Blue like the Blue Jackets series, I always go back to that Lightning series when they sweep them. Mm-hmm. Like the, the change on that team just because he's there and then he leaves the next year and the Blue Jackets were still good, but they didn't have that pop that they had in the year prior. Yep. Um, the Blackhawks didn't really recover after they traded him. Oh, Patrick, Kane, Patrick Kane has said that he's the best player he's ever played with. I was about to say, Patrick Kane will never find a line mate he loves more than he. I've spoken to Patrick at length of this. He love and admiration for this guy. Amazing. Uh, uh, on the Leafs, though, are they? I don't even know if you can give me an honest answer on this. Are, are they finally like good, or, or is it, is the Maple Leaf season only going to be defined at this point by the postseason? They're only going to be defined by how far they go in the postseason, and it, honestly, at this point, they need to make it to the conference finals or they're going to have to see some changes. Um, we know they can be a great regular season team. That's just the next challenge for them. Okay, but that's that's the, the diehard question there is, what's the change you can make? Because, like, how do you justify trading any four? I think the most tradable out of the four superstars is Nylander. But how do you justify trading any of them? Because they're all capable of 40 goals and 80 points in any season. So how do you just, which one is the most tradable? And how, how do you justify trading each one of them? You're right. I think, the, I mean, look, I mean, I think Matthews or Marner would have higher value. I'm in a trade and a return. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the way they would justify it is, okay, we're the only team in the league that is paying three players, three forwards, more than $10 million, and another guy, Nylander, at $7 million, And maybe that structure just doesn't work with our salary cap, and we need to allocate the money elsewhere. That's why I think, I think Nylander actually is the most tradable in that sense because his salary is so low. He can give you thirty million. At right. seven, uh, he can give you thirty goals at se- at uh, seven million dollars a year. That's the most tradable because again, you're trading a guy like Marner, a team that's trading with you. They're going to say back to you, "Well, you listen, you're paying him eleven million dollars a year. We're going to need some collateral back or something like that." I don't know, Emily. They're, they're just they're a fascinating fascinating team to watch for me because I mean, watching their power play, it's it's like you know, it's it's like magic, but. Not yeah. being able to I convert. I want to do a direct TV like uh, Red Zone for power plays, and them in Edmonton, I would tune in every time. Oh, it's it's. I I mean, I whenever there's a Ranger game and a Leaf game on, it's like it's like tough for me with both things. Like I watch the Leaf games as much as I watch Ranger games now. It's 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 really uh, they are such an unbelievably entertaining team. Like like, and have you been there for a game in Toronto too? Because I went there two years ago and and saw a Ranger Leaf game there, and I was mesmerized because it was in late December and it was like a college football game in Michigan. How amazing, how, how incredible the crowd atmosphere was. Yeah, no, I have. And it's great. I mean, it's just, it's original six. It's authentic. It's cool. Money on it right now. Does Matthews or McDavid finish their careers in their cities they're in now? Uh, no, I think Matthews plays for an American market. Ultimately, I think um, he'll never say it out loud. I think he does love being in Toronto, but Ultimately, I think he wants to be a superstar. I think he thinks a little bit differently. And I think playing in the American market eventually will become very important to him. 
And McDavid, it's hard to get a read. I think, you know, if they if they win soon, it'll be a lot easier for him to stay. But if things aren't working out, then, um, you know, maybe he goes elsewhere too. Uh, so when you're traveling around the league right now, what's the best barn that you've seen so far? Mm, I mean, the coolest new one is Seattle. It's I've never seen a new arena have that much character. Um, I was there for their opening night uh, at that arena and Climate Flood. It's just unlike anything else in the league. Interesting. Okay. Um, I have a really cool moment at the start of my career where I was covering a Duke-UNC game, and I got to go in the locker room. I had press passes and stuff. And it's one of those stories I get to tell everyone because uh, you remember Grayson Allen? I don't know how big of a basketball fan you are, but you know who Grayson Allen is? Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, the, yep. the Duke guy, right? And. I went into the locker room when Duke after after the game and Grace and I, I didn't know how th- it was like my first year of my career. I didn't know how how like etiquette worked in locker rooms and stuff. And I just walked up to him as he was like, you know, taking his uniform off or whatever, taking his shoes off. And I asked if I could talk to him and he was like, yeah, sure. And I, he wound up sitting down with me for like 20 minutes and just having a conversation. We were two 20 year olds just having a conversation back and forth. It was literally the coolest moment I could have ever had as a, as a kid that age. Do you have a moment like that with hockey? Where there's been like like you're at a you're at a bar in the city and a player walks in and you just get to have that conversation that when it's not work related and it's just like authentic and you kind of realize they're a person you know. I mean, you're asking me to flex here. So oh no, please go ahead. <laughs> Honestly, I was in St. Louis this week. I had a game on Tuesday and Monday night. We go out to dinner and um, I was with some hockey people. It was mm-hmm. Bucci Gross, my uh, teammate, and Darren Pang and Tim Peel, the former ref. I saw the picture. And, uh, yeah, Wayne yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Wayne Gretzky just comes up with a glass of wine and like pulls up a seat and sits at our table for a couple of minutes. And to me, like that's a pinch for yourself kind of moment of just honestly, just how approachable cool he is. And also just the fact that he lives in St. Louis and can just do things like that um, kind of blows your mind. And no one, no one like bothers, bothered him at the restaurant. No, that's, I think like deep down I was thinking about it and that must be why he likes living there because St. Louis is a big, small town and there's that community feel. And I think he can just live his life. I mean, I'm sure he gets stopped often, but maybe less so than if he lived in Toronto or New York or somewhere else. Is that happening to you yet in your career? Are you getting like stopped when you're in certain places, like in arenas and stuff like that for pictures and stuff? Uh, I'm still a D-list celebrity. Uh, a little <laughs> bit. Uh, TSA pre-check uh, saw my ID the other day and I was like, oh, I like you during games. And that was pretty cool for me, but uh, no, <laughs> not there yet. I can imagine, like, the, the, the more and more that you get the celebrity all over ESPN and stuff like that, like, your, your, your Twitter DMs must be overloaded, your, your Instagram and stuff. It, it, is it a cool feeling or is it a little bothersome? You got to just say it's cool, right? It's really cool. It's, I don't know, it's sometimes kind of a mind F. Uh, I don't want to curse. I always curse. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, just knowing everything you do is so visible. Um, and, you know, I, like, even on my personal Instagram, anytime... It's my personal Instagram. Anytime I post, you know, a picture of a friend or my sister, they get like a ton of follower requests. And that kind of creeps me out because you feel like you can't really separate your private life from your public life anymore. Was there a, uh, a nervousness to starting like doing more TV stuff and stuff like that? Or did you become how quick did it take you to become comfortable on camera? Oh, it definitely took time. And I give so much credit to Around the Horn because that was the first show that gave me regular reps. Um, the hardest thing is just being your authentic self on camera because mm-hmm. that's what comes through the most because you want to be prepared and you just, I can't explain it. Once the lights go on and once the, it starts recording, like you do get that kind of freeze moment. Um, but um, I've been lucky to get, again, regular reps and the more you do, the more comfortable you are. Emily Kaplan from ESPN NHL Reporter joins me. Emily, I just have two more questions. One's a career-based question and one is more of a uh, 
just a general hockey question. So career based is first. Um, I found that when I do radio and I'm, I'm brief into my radio career, I'm, I'm six months into hosting on, it's great that I'm hosting on the biggest radio station in, in America, but I'm only six months into it. And when I do my prep for my shows, I like to have everything done like the night before my show. I don't want to think about my show mm-hmm. go before going into it. I don't want to think about what topics I'm talking about or anything. I like to go into it with a fresh mind and that helps me kind of be more, more my authentic self on the radio. How do you prepare mm-hmm. for spots? Are you one of those person that's cramming five minutes before you do a podcast or five minutes before you do anything? Or are you just going at it with your general knowledge and your, and being your authentic self kind of more? A great question. I've definitely evolved early on. I was super prepared. I would write out like a script of exactly what I wanted to say. Now it's more just making sure I have bullet points in front of me and just kind of looking them over ahead of time and remembering the points I want to hit. But like we're talking right now and it's the 1220 and, um, 2 p.m. Um, I have to do a uh, hit for the point, which is our studio show. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably, when we hang up, start, you know, looking through my notes and making sure I know how I want to craft it. Because the hardest thing is with TV is you just have to be so economical with your words. Sometimes I only get 20 or 30 seconds to something I want to talk about for five minutes. So I just want to make sure I get the best info out there. I've actually, uh, I developed the method that Colin Cowherd uses. And basically what he does is he'll write out his take as if he's making a, a college essay, right? Like a thesis and he's got his backup points and then he cuts down his entire essay into little bullet points and just that's where he goes with because he knows all of the, de- the, the, the details and stuff are in his head but he needs the bullet point to like give him a launching point and that's kind of the method that I've used in my career but it is fascinating to learn from other people in like whether it's TV or radio like how you prep and how you do it differently because everyone's got their own little, you know, quirky method. Yeah. That's awesome. I might steal that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily, uh, one more question. Right now, NA Stanley Cup Finals, who am I getting out of you? Who who, who, are, who are you definitely seeing in the Stanley Cup? Because we're at American Thanksgiving, and that's pretty much the, the best barrier line you can have. So what would you say right now yeah. you're going to see? You know, in the East, I really like Carolina, and I think that they've gone through enough playoffs that they're ready to make that longer run, and they've made some decent runs the last couple of years. And on the West, um, you know, they've kind of had a touch-and-go start, and I'm talking about this the night after they get totally blasted by the Leafs, but I still think Colorado will emerge. Interesting. Yeah, Colorado's defense, like especially with Bowen Byram being able to emerge this year, has been a, a, a huge plus for them. Emily Kaplan from ESPN is who's joining us. Emily, I really appreciate it. Couldn't be more thankful for the time. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was a really fun conversation. You're awesome at what you do, and your passion comes through. Some food for thought. On the way out, Vince. Did you know that the world's most expensive advent calendar is custom made for $10 million? I don't know if you're an advent calendar guy, but I think if you were a rich guy, which you'd be a bad rich guy, you would definitely spend $10 million on an advent calendar. That is the last thing I'd do. If I spent $10 million on an advent calendar, I would immediately burn it. That'll do it for New York Proof.